man, that got me a little teary-eyed, and I picked it. Good morning, good morning. It is so good. It's so exciting to be here. Wow, listen, I don't know what someone said or did to get you to come here today. I don't know if they offered you money, lunch, or beer. I don't know what you came for, but listen, I don't ever want to be one of those sneaky pastors, so here's what I'm going to confess to you this morning. This whole national back-to-church thing is a scam. It's a trick. It's a gimmick to get you to come to church today. We do it every year, and every year you fall for it. We do it just to reach some new people and to bring back those people that have kind of slipped away. But listen, before you get mad this morning and try to break out, I want you to understand this. That person that brought you here today has had some kind of experience with the love of God and will forever be changed. And and listen, listen, when we asked them to invite somebody, they thought of you. When we asked them, when when they decided that there there was something here that could help, There was something here that could encourage, something that could cause a change, something that could transform. And when we asked them, they thought of you. I like to put it this way. God loved them so they could love you. So would you turn and say thank you to whoever brought you here? Amen. I saw that. Some of you were like, you tricked me. So listen, I'm going to ask something of you guys today. This is normally the part of the service. Obviously, the pastor comes up or a preacher, and he shares a message from the scriptures, hopefully, from the heart of God to encourage you, to to equip you, to correct and train and admonish. and, And I'm so excited to be able to get to do that in a moment. But I prepared a special set of messages. Just for you, just for this time, I've never preached this before. This is a special set that I've kind of working on and creating for a couple of weeks just for you. So I'm going to ask something of you guys, you, the, you that are new, the, you that have come back. This is a new series, and what I want to ask of you is, would you commit, listen, I know I'm asking a lot, you don't even know me, would you commit to coming out and hearing at least just this set of messages? Would you commit, listen, even if church is not your thing, even if you don't even know if you believe in God, do you know that you can belong here before you believe? Even if, even if you're not sure if you even like it here yet, would you do me a favor and just try this thing on? Would you wave at me if you're willing to commit to just listen to these couple of messages before Before you go, amen, amen, amen. Wow. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You guys saw that, right? All right. So I'm going to be sharing a special series with you. And for the next 26 Sundays, man, we are just going to.
You raise your hands, bro. Listen, you know what's funny? I tell that joke every year. <laughs> and what's even funnier is next year, some of you will be here and you'll invite somebody for National back to church day. And I'll tell that joke again and they're going to laugh too. You know why? Because this is a great church. Because God is doing an incredible work here among us, man. I love it. Listen, even if I wasn't the pastor, I'd come here. It's a great, I love being there at that moment when somebody starts to get the love of God on. I love watching the skeptics walk in and have all these people smiling at you and greeting you and saying, and you're feeling, this is so fake. I knew church was fake. These guys are fake. And then you come and you try it again for another week and people are still loving on you and hugging you. And you go, this place is so fake. You guys are hypocrites. It's nothing but hypocrites. And then you do it again and again. And then you realize you've been in this place three years and you're still holding back. You're still holding back. And then one day, something just hits you and you, really, you let go. And you're like, ah, oh, it's all right. And you're crying. You're crying at the front. Listen, I love it that God, God brings people that have no business being in the same building together, and he makes them family. Wow. We've been doing this at TSF for over 10 years, and it's still exciting, and it's still amazing. Tonight, we're baptizing over 38 people, I think. Wow. And listen, more and more, you start to understand that the church the church isn't a place that you go to when you get your act together. The church isn't a place to go to because everybody there has their act together. A lot of us are faking it till we make it. And that's okay. It's, it's, we, it, it, the church is a refuge. It's a place where all sorts of people could gather and remind each other of the story that we're all in. Amen? We, we get together to remind one another, man, I got through so you can get through. Listen, I overcame so you can overcame. I beat that so you can beat that. And we're just here to encourage one another, to give each other strength to believe. You know why? Because what we believe shapes what we become. Hear me. We're going to get deep in a minute. What we believe shapes what we become. And, and, and the thing is, we've been told some, can, can I just be raw with you? We've been told some really stupid stuff. And we've believed some really stupid stuff, haven't we? Listen, I I'm sure this is true in other cultures, but if you grew up in a Hispanic house, you believed a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> if you grew up in a Hispanic house, you know, the one that has the Papa Dios statue with the eyes that follow you all around, no matter where in the house you stand, Jesus is watching you. In that house, listen, if you broke even a pocket mirror, Grandma said, you got seven years bad luck. How about if you open an umbrella in the house? Seven more years bad luck. If you're a woman and you put your purse on the floor, what did they tell you? Look at this. If you had an itch in your palm, what that mean? Money! <laughs> If, 
If you got an itch in your paw, your grandma said, put your hands in your pocket. Don't scratch it. That means money's coming. If you saw a broom upside down by the door, that's to, un, to get rid of un, un, uh, unwanted guests or evil spirits. Apparently, evil spirits don't like brooms. If you have a dream that your teeth fell out, somebody's dead, somebody's died. Look at people like... And in the Spanish house, it's not just one. It comes in threes. If someone stared at your kid too much, he was giving a mande ojo, you got a, right? Evil eye, so you got to go get a, a, a sabache to put. If your kid has hiccups, you lick a thread and put it on the forehead. That works? Come on, man. If you had a nosebleed, you put a penny on the forehead. If you pass the salt, you had to throw some salt over your shoulder, right? Is this other cultures too? If you sweep over a single person's feet, they'll never get married. They'll never get married. If you're still single, go back to that person that swept your feet. If you cut the baby's hair before they're one, bello malo forever. If your ear is ringing, somebody's talking about you. To stop the evil from coming, you bite your tongue. How many of you had grandmas that made you eat 12 grapes on New Year's for 12 good months? Still do! Oh, this is funny. If you see a glass of water on the refrigerator or behind the door, that's to catch evil spirits because apparently evil spirits are always thirsty. These are Latino fairy tales. Every culture has their own set, right? Now listen, some of those have their roots in witchcraft, so be careful with that stuff. Don't bring my little grandson a salvache, I'll throw it at you. My granddaughter. Fairy tales, amen? Fairy tales. How many of you still give your kids money when they lose a tooth? What's that about? Now, unfortunately, these fairy tales, they, they have a way of sticking with us and influencing us, and they shape what we believe. So this series that I've set up for you, listen, we're going to be walking in finding truth. Amen? We're going to find truth. And I'd like to take you on a spiritual faith journey along with me. Would you just go like this? Strap it in. Strap it in, man, because we're going for a ride. Amen? Listen, we're going to talk about some of the lies that we've all believed as well as some of the truth that we've all questioned. Is that all right? And this might come as a surprise to some, as a confirmation to others. Some of you might really have to wrestle with some of the things that we held as truth. But in the end, I believe we're all going to grow together. We're all going to be better for it. Amen? So I've titled this series, No Fairy Tales. No fairy, say no fairy tales. All right, so let's get, let's get started. Let me start with the first one on my list of things that I hear all the time. I wanted to title this stupid things people say, but you can't really say that in church. People get offended. 
So here's, here's one of the first ones that I hear all the time. All religions are basically the same. When it comes right down to it, we all worship the same God. How many of you heard that? Listen, we did a series last year on world religions because I believe we need to be equipped. We need to know what we believe and know why we believe what we believe. Amen? But, but let, 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 me, let, let me show you how off that is, that how, how much of a fairy tale that is. All religions are the same. We all believe the same thing. You can call them Allah. You can call them Buddha. You can call them. It's all the same. It's all the same thing. Every major world religion deals with how we can get to God or how we can become God or like God. Every major world religion, when you break it down, <coughs> how we can be like God. If you do one, two, three, and if you stop doing X, Y, Z, and if you get this, and if you go here, and if you do it all the right way consistently, then maybe God will accept you. If you can be good enough, if you sacrifice enough, if you give enough, if you pray enough, if you confess enough, if you meditate enough, if you positive energy enough, if you downward dog and transcend enough, if your good outweighs your bad, then maybe you can reach God or God's status. Scripture teaches exactly the opposite of that. God gave us life. Amen. God, we failed God, we betrayed God, we run from God, we hide from God. How many been there? We mess up and we end up damaged and God comes for us. Isn't that a totally different thing than what everybody's saying? God comes for us. Romans 5 eight. but God shows his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, while we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen, my intention is to show you this in the Scriptures. I want to show you this in the Bible, how it's different, but, but here's the issue I have to wrestle with first. Some of you don't believe the Bible. Some of you don't believe the Bible can be trusted. Some of you have listened to too many internet theologians and they've left you in doubt and they've left you questioning. I know I've been there. And so what, what I want to do, I know some of you have issues and so let's deal with that first. Can we do that? Before we get into scripture, can we deal with the issues that we have with the Bible first? Because otherwise, you know, you, what I have to say in the message really doesn't matter to you because you don't trust where it's coming from, Right? So, so listen, what do people say about the Bible? The Bible was made up. The Bible was written by man. The Bible was loaded with inconsistencies. The Bible was good for then, but it's not relevant for us today. Any of you heard any of these? The Bible's been translated so many times it's changed from its original. It can't even be trusted. The Bible is a book of fairy tales. Nothing in it that it says has really happened. It's just good stories to, to teach us how to live. How many of you heard that? Can I drop some facts on you this morning? I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this. Say, tell somebody, facts, not fairy tales. 
All right, that's what I'm going to give you. Listen, the Bible isn't some regular book written like any other from beginning to end. The Bible is a compilation. Um, if you know this already, just bear with me, amen, because we all need to be on the same page, all right? So the Bible isn't a regular book written like any other from beginning to end. It's a compilation of 66 letters, 66 books that were written at different times in different places with over 40 different authors, and yet all of them are inspired by God. You don't have to believe that yet. It's okay. It's broken into the Old Testament, which has 39 books, and the New Testament, which has 27 books. The word testament means covenant. So basically, the Bible is a book of covenants. The Old Testament is a covenant between God and his people, Israel, the Jewish people. And the New Testament is about the covenant between God and his people who follow Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. So that means Jews and Puerto Ricans. And Cubans, Italians, even Dominicans. Really. The Bible is, a, the New Testament is a covenant between God and anyone who believes. Listen, it was written over a period of 1,500 years from around 1450 B.C. to about 100 A.D. Following the death and resurrection of Christ. By the way, our whole calendar, in case you didn't know, our whole calendar changed when Christ was born. I'm just saying, right? The, the years before Christ were B.C., before Christ, and the years after he was born were A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So Jesus restarted time. Say no fairy tales. Okay, so how were these books chosen? Thank you for that weak clap. <clears throat> how were these books chosen? Well, the Bible was canonized. The, the canon is a Greek word that means a measuring rod. And so, and so um, to, to have the Bible canonized means that it had been measured by the standard or test of divine inspiration and authority. It became the collection of books, of writings accepted by the apostles and the leadership of the early church, and it became the basis for Christian belief. That's the standard by which all Christians throughout the ages live and worship. But why should we trust it? Ask somebody why. Okay, thanks for asking. <laughs> Contrary to many internet theologians and what a lot of people like to spit about and not know, the Bible is one of the most provable books in all of time. Are you interested? Watch this. The stories in the Old Testament went totally against what science knew at the time. While science believed the earth was a flat surface, the Bible stated in the book of Job that the earth was not flat. The earth was floating in space and suspended by nothing. Isaiah 40 said that the world was a sphere, that it was round at a time when everyone in science believed that the earth was flat. That made no sense at all. Later, science discovered that they were wrong and the Bible was right. Are you getting excited? Watch this. Psalm 19 stated that the sun revolves around the earth. Scientists looked at that scripture and said the Bible has definitely has to be false because we all know the sun is stationary because that's what they believed back then. It wasn't, it wasn't until years and years later that we now know the sun travels through space 600,000 miles per hour just like the Bible said it does. Are you with me? Isaiah 45 says, 
God formed the earth in a state that it could be inhabited. Isaiah, Isaiah 45 says God created the earth in a state, in, 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 a, in a way where it can be inhabited. Scientists have discovered that the most basic characteristics of our earth, the nitrogen, hydrogen, oxygen levels, the amount of water to land, everything, if just one of them were even slightly different, life could not exist on this planet. Science once again proves the Bible. Hebrews 11, it states that creation, this is crazy. Hebrews 11 wrote that creation is made up of particles that we can't see with our own eyes. It wasn't until the 19th century that science discovered that we were made of atoms, tiny particles that can't be seen with the naked eye. How can the writer of Hebrews know this before science discovered it? Are you with me? Watch this. In the book of Job, God is, this is when Job and God were having this argument and God is questioning him. And, and, so, and so God is rattling off some things to Job and some things that he can do. And he talks about sending light. Job, God tells Job, can you send lightning to and from? Can you send light back and forth? Made no sense to present science that light could be sent. Did you know that it, it, wasn't, we, it wasn't until the 1800s that science discovered that light could be sent? You know, one of the latest technologies, how many of you have Fios cable? Fios is fiber optic cable. All it is is sending light back and forth. And you get your HBO, your Showtime, with light sending back and forth. Job wrote that before science. Come on, somebody say no fairy tale. Did you know, check this out, that God instructs us in the Bible that boys should be circumcised on the eighth day. And that was the law. Boys should be circumcised on the eighth day. Big deal, right? Did you know that science just recently discovered that the blood clotting in a newborn infant reaches its peak on the eighth day and then lowers? So the safest time to circumcise a boy would be on the eighth day after he was... How would, how would they know this before science discovered it? Are you with me? Man didn't know, but God knew. Shipbuilders, shipbuilders today, they know that the formula for a stable ship at sea is six times... The width, the length has to be six times the width, and that creates a state. God told Noah those dimensions back in Gen. Come on, man. Come on. Before we had iPads and calculators, God knew. Listen, God knew what science would later discover, and we can read it in the Bible. There's laws in Genesis that deal with hand washing and waste management. And we say, man, why is that in Genesis and Leviticus? Why all these laws? Why? God was teaching us things that science would later. It wasn't, we didn't learn that stuff till thousands of people died because of doing this the wrong way. Man didn't know, but God that created us knew. Leviticus, Leviticus taught us that our blood is the source of life and health in us. Listen. Up until 120 years ago, only 120 years ago, when people were sick, they were bled. 
People were, got sick and they were bled. The doctors said they would bleed them to get. And, and many, many died because of that. God already declared and told us in the Bible that the life of the flesh is in the blood. How, how would Leviticus know that before science know that if it wasn't inspired by God? Wrestle with that. Are you learning something? Can we trust what the inspired word says? That's all right. You don't have to agree yet. I got more. (laughs) In Genesis, we read the order of creation. Listen, science has determined that plants require sunlight, water, and minerals in order to survive. In the first chapter of Genesis, we read that God created light first, then water, then soil. Then he created plant life. I mean, do you understand? God made it inhabitable, gave us everything that we need to have life before he puts us and gives us life. All right, let's go deeper then. You ain't convinced? Y'all want to be stubborn? Okay. Genesis says that God created life according to its kind. And so God distinguishes in Genesis different kinds and genetic boundaries between which life can't cross. Okay? So life produces life after its own kind. How many of you know dogs produce dogs? Have you ever seen a cat dog? Cats and cats produce cats. Dogs and dogs produce dogs. Roses produce roses. You you understand? I'm just trying to make it romantic for you. (laughs) Never has science witnessed one kind producing or changing into another kind as evolution supposes. Come on, we're going in. Are we going in? You want this or you can walk out now? Never. never, There's no proof. Listen, stupid things people say. We came from a small amoeba. That over millions and millions and millions and millions of years, it was a tadpole over millions and millions and millions of years, you know, turtle, ba ba ba, monkey, me. <laughs> over years, it takes millions and millions of years, and that's why we haven't seen it. That's why we've never seen a monkey turn into a dog in our lifetime, because it takes millions and millions and millions of years. <coughs> Yet, All of the proof that can be found for some reason, we can't find one transitional fossil. We can't find one fossil that shows a dog becoming a cat slowly. Not one. But but we got tons of bones in the Museum of Natural History. Tons of bones. And and right in the Museum of Natural History, you see, you know, the... Right? The whole scale of evolution. And, 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 And the way that they've mapped that is with an ankle bone here a collarbone here, uh, some shin bone here, and somehow they've put together this chart of how there's no proof. That's why evolution is still a theory, but yet we'll keep teaching it in high schools and colleges, telling our young people that you came from animals and then arresting them when they act like it. Come on. Come on. The Bible explains reproduction. I love this. The Bible explains, Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible explains reproduction. God made man, male and female. He created them. God, as dirty as we make sex, 
God invented sex. Somebody say, yay, God. Oh, now y'all woke up. Evolution has no mechanism to explain how male and female reproductive organs evolved at the same time. Do you know what the likelihood of that has to be? The two things are evolving over millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And somehow he developed testicles and you got an ovary over millions and at the same time. Do, do, do you understand the faith it takes to believe in evolution? We had to evolve at the same time to then have life. But listen, if it failed even once, there's no more life. So it stops. So how do we have millions and millions and millions of years of men and women that can't reproduce yet? Do you see how foolish this is? Come on, man. Give me a high five. Come on. Come on, man. No fairy tales, man. No fairy tales. So this question has plagued philosophers for centuries. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? That's a, like evolutionists wrestle with this. What came first, the chicken or the egg? It's easy, Genesis 1, 20, 22 says the Bible states, God created the birds with the ability to reproduce after their kind. Therefore, the chicken was created first with the ability to make eggs. <laughs> Mystery solved. Evolution has no solution for that dilemma. See how hard we got to be to not want to be accountable to a creator? You see how far we got to go? How, how many side streets we got to take to not say, yeah, God made me and I got to listen to what he says, man, and I should follow him? Okay, some of you still not convinced. Jonah, Jonah 2. I got more. I don't care. We go all day. We go right into baptism time. We go all day. We'll go until everybody gets baptized. Even, even my man Sasa from the block. What's up, Bobby? Jonah 2 says that there are mountains, Jonah, Old Testament, Jonah says there are mountains at the bottom of the ocean floor. There is no possible way for Jonah to have known that or even make such a claim because only in the last century have we discovered that there are towering mountains and depths and caverns underneath the sea. Jonah didn't even have a snorkel. <laughs> so is the Bible some old-fashioned, out-of-date book with no relevance for us today? Somebody should scream no. no. Can the Bible be trusted? Yes. See, the answers to life and death are in this book. Look, look, there's another one. Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he says, the number of the stars in the sky, they're incalculable. This was at a time when we, there was only about 5,000 stars that could be seen to the naked eye. Jeremiah, the prophet, says, the number of stars are incalculable. It wasn't until the 17th century that the telescope was dis discovered. And then we started to see the immensity of our universe. Today, scientists estimate there are 10,000 
billion trillion stars. I mean, you know, that's just like a number you pulled out of your sock someplace. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we counted. There's 10,000 billion trillion. You know what's awesome? Psalm 47 says that God knows that he counts every star and that he knows them by name. No fairy tales. No, all right, one from the New Testament. Most of those were Old Testament. Let me give you one from the New Testament. Luke tells us, Luke tells us that the second coming of Jesus will occur while some are asleep at night and some are working at daytime activities. Think about what that means. That is a clear indication of a revolving earth where they can be day and night at the same time. Do you see this? This blow anybody's mind? Science did not know that then, but the creator of the thing knew. Family, I hope this blows your mind. Can you get that? Listen, if the scriptures said that the earth was round and there were only 500 stars, if, if they gave any wrong info, then we can look back today and say, obviously that was written by man. Obviously the word is not inspired by God because it's wrong. The earth is not flat. There are more than 500 stars. There, this and that and all those things that we could go back and say, come on, that was dumb. Obviously, man wrote that, but it was right, and man still rejects it. How could Jeremiah know about stars with no telescopes? Jonah about the seas with no scuba gear? Atoms and blood clotting with no microscopes? Reproduction with no science labs? Disease prevention with no hospitals? The shape and rotation of the earth without even having traveled it yet. How can the Bible know more about creation than we do if it wasn't inspired by the creator himself? And that's just the Old Testament. That's just the Old Covenant. I haven't even started talking really about why we should trust the New Covenant. Worship team, you guys can start to come up. We're going to get into the new covenant in our next time together. We'll, why we should trust Paul? Why we should, should, we, should we trust the apostles and what they wrote? And the ultimate question that we want to answer at the end of this series, the end of those 26, 32 weeks. <laughs> Is Jesus the only way? That's what we want to answer. That's what we want to answer. Because people today are still saying there are many ways to God. Oprah preaches every day. There are many ways to God. She said, she said Jesus can be the only way. She's under the influence of this Tole New Age stuff. And, and she's got more followers than the church. So this brings us back to the question that we first started with. Are all religions the same? Are all, is, there, is, is it all the same God? Church, if there was something, if, if, 
If this was something that was made up by man, it was religion. Religion was man's invention. It's man's attempt to reach God. God never created us for religion. God created us for relationship. I want to close... I want to close with this reading from John 14. If you could put that scripture up there for me. You guys can go ahead and play. This, this passage in John 14, these are red letters so in your Bible, so it's Jesus speaking to us. The whole Bible should be red lettered because it's God speaking to us anyway. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going and Thomas interrupts him and Thomas says Lord we don't know where you're going how can we know the way Jesus says to Thomas I am the way I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me Now, family, I've just, I've just given you a glimpse into the Word. The Bible is inspired by God. It's full of answers. It reveals the plans and the purposes that we were all created. No other source explains life with the accuracy that the Word does beyond its time. When we get into the New Testament, you'll find that there are pages in there that read as if they were written this week. Right now, there are things unfolding in our time, and our news, that the Bible dis- describes accurately. The Word offers the only remedy for sin, suffering, and death. A sinless Savior who came to us to save us, who still pursues us to this day, who when we hide And when we run, he comes after us. Who no matter what mess we're in, he calls us. Who no matter how dirty, how unclean, how unholy we've become, he reaches out to us. And he surrounds us and he calls us and he comes after us. And he doesn't care if we smell like the street. He doesn't care if we smell of alcohol, of drugs. He doesn't care how twisted we are. He comes to us and embraces us. He pursues us. Because he came to save us. And in John 10, 28, he promises his followers, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Family, Jesus is God's free gift offered to all. Please, 
Don't let pride, religion, opinions, or your love for sin separate you any longer from this God. As the worship team just worshiped for another couple moments, we're going to create a sacred space here. We're going to create a space that's where there's no separation between heaven and earth. And I'm going to invite you to step into it. I'm going to invite you to walk into it. I'm going to invite you to come forward. Why do we do that? Is there something different about this space than the space you're in? No. But sometimes we have to step out of what we're in to get someplace different. Sometimes we need to make a change. Sometimes we need to change what we're doing. We need to to make a move to get to the place where God is calling us to be. So as we worship, as we just bow our heads, we're just going to pray for a moment. And as the worship team leads you in worship for the next couple of moments, and we'll let you go in, in a few minutes after that, you're free to leave. Remember, you promised to come back. If during this worship, if that's you, if God has been talking on your heart, listen, one thing I, I don't want to try to do today, I wasn't trying to convince you. Because if you can be convinced in, you can be convinced out. I was just trying to remove some of the stumbling blocks from believing. Sometimes we got to get past the head to get to the heart. Now it's a heart thing between you and God. And I pray the very best for you. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the father of lights. We thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you. We thank you that every good thing we've ever had has been given to us by you, God. And so, Father, in this moment, I I pray that you would show yourself real in the lives of those that have come today. Show yourself strong today, Lord God. Father, even now, release healing in this place. Spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing that you may be glorified. Right now, people are getting healed. Just just receive that. There's power in his word. There's no fairy tale. Receive it. We ask this in Jesus' name.